glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. In this verse, Isaiah 9, 6, we've already looked at uh, the name of the Lord, Wonderful, and we've seen His wonder in His incarnation, His birth. Jesus Christ went into this world by a miracle. Um, there are those that like to argue about the virgin birth and one of the arguments they make is that's not possible, to which I say, duh, <laughs> that's why it's a miracle. And uh, if there are no miracles, there is no God. And of course, there is no God, there are no miracles, but because there is a God, He does do miracles. We do not recognize the miracles by sight, but by faith. May I say this, there were people that watched Jesus Christ raise a man from the dead, and yet they weren't convinced that he was God in the flesh. They watched it. They observed it. And they were still unbelievers. So those who require a sign, I had this discussion with an aged man. I say aged. He is double my age plus. (laughs) I had this conversation with him last week about those that require a sign. A light bulb kind of clicked on. He said, ooh. So Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Meaning, God, if you're God, prove it. He never will. The person that tries to tell God what to do won't be hearing from God anytime soon. You can study your Bible. We went through this recently. I don't know why this keeps coming up. Maybe the Lord just needs it to, wants it to, but... King Saul doubted God, disobeyed God, and then begged God to talk to him. God wouldn't speak to him. You do not want to be on the other end of God going silent on you. Amen? That's not a good place to be. King Herod longed to see Jesus do a miracle, to be entertained. Herod was a man who liked to be entertained. It got him in trouble. He was entertained by Herodias' daughter, and it cost John the Baptist his head. And he wanted Jesus to come entertain him with a miracle. You know how many words Jesus Christ spoke to Herod when they finally met? Zero. You know what Herod wanted? Prove to me who you are. You know what Herod was? He was afraid John had come back from the dead to haunt him. That's what the Bible says. He's afraid that John I beheaded and he's come back from the dead and that's, that's who this guy is. I want to see this guy. And the Lord, how many of you think after Herod met Jesus, his soul was more at ease? I'm guessing not. The Lord Jesus didn't speak not one word to him. You know why? It required a sign. The Pharisees and Sadducees says, give us a sign. The only sign they got is when Jesus walked out of the tomb three days after he was crucified. My point this morning is, if we're going to see the wonder of God, you're going to have to see it by faith. We have to take God at his word. As we saw, the Lord is wonderful. Last week, we focused on him as counselor. That focuses on the message of his mouth. There's no one more fitted to counsel you than Jesus Christ. There's no, listen, please, this morning, there's a lot of counselors in this world. You can find them. The best ones are on the Internet, right? You want marriage counsel? Google how to save your marriage. And somebody who doesn't know how will tell you. And uh, I, would, I would encourage you to do this. Open this book. Can I encourage If you're not in the habit of reading the Bible every day, can I encourage you to do that? If you're not in the habit of reading your Bible every day, uh, let me encourage you to read your Bible and read it faithfully, and read it, and you say, well, I don't understand it, then tell God that. He's the author, and he'll help you with that and show you why. But I encourage you, read your Bible every day. This is what we need to hear. The greatest counsel, David said that the, the Lord's statutes were his counselors. And so we saw the last week the Lord Jesus' counselor, and that was especially 
demonstrated through the time when he told Jesus or Peter to cast his nets and Peter reluctantly cast a net and he was given counsel and Peter soon found that he is the counselor. Today, uh, it goes a step further. You know, there's a lot of people that would admit that Jesus is wonderful. They would, And I don't mean wonderful like a boyfriend says, my girlfriend's wonderful. A lot of people, they think about that kind of relationship with the Lord. This is not a romantic relationship. He's wonderful in the fact he is a God of wonders. He's counselor in that his mouth gives wisdom. And there are, there are false religions today that would give to Jesus that he's the counselor or a counselor. Even Islam recognizes Jesus as a good prophet. They would say he did many miracles. Wonderful counselor. Today goes a step further. It says, the mighty God. In studying this message, and one of the good things about preaching is it forces you to study your Bible beyond what you normally would because you need to preach and give God's word to other people. And what I wanted to do, what I believe the Lord wanted done, is to take this prophecy concerning Jesus Christ, roll over to the New Testament, and show how these names are fulfilled in the ministry, in the life, and even in the work of Christ right now, today. Well, if you're going to start studying how the mighty power of Jesus Christ is demonstrated, where do we begin? Where do you begin demonstrating, should we go back to creation? Because the Bible says, of Jesus in the beginning was the Word. And we'll, God will look at this text next Sunday. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Talking about Jesus Christ. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. I would say it takes mighty power to create a universe. We'll say, well, Pastor, you're way back in history. That's been disproven. Oh, hogwash. That's, that, that's my Appalachian coming out, Ed. Hogwash, right? That's... No, no, no. Evolution hasn't proven anything but that men are fools. Huh? The fool hath said in his heart there is no God. I didn't say that. Psalm 14.1 says that. My point is this. Should we go to creation with the Lord Jesus Christ to show he's the mighty God? How about his walking on water, raising people from the dead, opening blinded eyes? Where do we go? And the way the Lord directed me today is we're going to stay right here because there's a mouthful spoken in just those three words. We know this is a prophecy concerning Jesus, the child born, the son given, the government speaks of a king that's going to be born. By the way, in an age where everybody's in a flurry about politics, I am rooting for a monarchy Amen. with one king on the throne, Jesus Christ. Amen? And some say, uh, no, no, that's, that's, where, that's what I want today. Amen? And uh, he is still king of kings and lord of lords. And so... As we look at this text today, the mighty God, I just want to take these three words and it teaches us. There's some theology class this morning and I don't mean you have to be a deep theologian. You don't have to know Hebrew or Greek to have theology. You have to have a Bible and a heart that's willing to trust it. Amen. We're given some truth about God today and it is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so let's go from here. We're going to start with the word the. Notice it doesn't say... Uh, the government should be upon his shoulder and his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, a Mighty God. If you were to read um, the New World Translation, which is a Bible uh, that it's put together by a, a cult, they've retranslated the Bible to match the doctrines they promote. In John chapter 1, verse 1, I quoted from it earlier, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's what your King James Bible says in John 1, 1. In the New World Translation, it adds one one-letter word. 
How many know we have a lot of one-letter words? The word A. Where in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. Now, interestingly enough, that doesn't say that in Isaiah 9, 6 in their Bible, but they did in John 1 because it's a key text to establish that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Here it says that his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. How many of us understand the definite article, the? Now, I don't think our culture does understand that very well. Honestly, we have a culture that has gone insane by walking away from facts, from truth. We start with facts. Listen, there are some facts that you don't have to be a Christian. You don't even have to be a, you don't have to be a believer to know. God put it in you, in your DNA, to know certain facts that are just there. You don't have to be a Christian to know there's a God. The devils know there's a God. The devils know there's only how many gods? Bible says that in James, the devils know, believe there's only one God and they tremble. They not only know there's one God, they tremble at who he is because they know him better than we do. And so my point is this. There are certain things you can know without being a Bible believer. God put them in you. But our, our society has walked away from those things. We've not only walked away from the revelation of the Bible, we've walked away from the revelation of conscience and the revelation of creation so that today we are told we're living in a Walt Disney-type mentality. If you want something to be true, hey, it is. There's only one problem with that statement. It's not true. (laughs) I like to ask people that. So your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Is that truth? You with me? When we come to the definite article, the, it becomes very exclusive. Very exclusive. So, for instance, Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The word the means he is exclusively the only way to God. He is exclusively the truth of God. That any other thing outside of him is not... We have a very difficult time with that because we say that is what-minded? Narrow. Pastor, that is narrow-minded. That's ironic because that's exactly what Jesus said he is. He said, I am the door. You know what he said about that door? Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto righteousness and few there be that find it. He said, I am the door. He didn't say, I am a door to God. I am the door. You say, why are we saying all this? Because in Isaiah 9, 6, in the Old Testament, the definite article is used again, the. Jesus is not a mighty God. Jehovah God is not a mighty God. God the Father is not a God. God the Son is not a God. And God the Holy Spirit of God. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is is the God. (laughs) One God. And our Bible tells us that. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it tells us, if you want to turn there or if you just want to follow along as I read, that's fine. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Bible speaks of there being only one Lord, one God. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, God speaking to the nation of Israel. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and with all thy might and so on and so forth. Uh, in Isaiah 9, 6, and much of this first point is so doctrinal rather than practical. We'll get into the more practical part here in a minute. When it says Jesus prophetically, this child that is to be born will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. You realize Isaiah 9, 6 is saying God will become man. 
Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. That's a child that's going to be a human. is going to come into the human race. But his name's going to be called Wonderful Counselor. If we said a mighty God, you might be talking about a host of people who came, were given great power, and were a little g God, a ruler of many people. You think about this today. How many men in this world have thought they were God? Far too many. Tell me this. When a man thinks that he has the power, wisdom, and and ability to govern of his own volition the lives of other men, what does he do with that power? He destroys. It it always becomes tyranny. But when Jesus Christ, the God-man, became God, instead of destroying, he was destroyed. Yes? He didn't think he was God. He knew he was. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he knew who he was. And as such, he laid his life down on the cross in our place, proving had, it been, had Jesus been anything but God, he would have used his power to do what Peter and the other disciples wanted him to do, and that's annihilate the opposition and establish your kingdom by force. But he chose not to. He chose instead to be crucified for our sins He's chosen instead to be wounded for our transgressions, to be bruised for our iniquities, for the chastisement of our peace to be laid upon him that we might be healed with his stripes. This speaks of, of course, the existence of God. This son that will be given is the mighty God. Not a God, the God, the existence of God. But of course it speaks of the exclusiveness of God. There is no God beside our God. First John 5, 7 says... Uh, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, capital W-O-R-D, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. That's 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. And so then this text, the Almighty God says, there is a God, which we already know. If you're breathing today, you know there's a Creator. Uh, We can deny that, but we know that, okay? It tells of the exclusiveness of God, the mighty God. It tells us of the essence of God, that God is not distinct, uh, three distinct gods, but one, which we've already alluded to, three in one, the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son. Uh, The essence of God, which tells us uh, God is not just, not a God of someone's imagination. How many of you know this? No one ever discovered God. God has revealed himself to men. No, don't, don't miss me this morning. It's very important. Someone says, I dis- cults have been discovered. False religions have been discovered. But the faith we have was once delivered, meaning heaven communicated with earth through Jesus Christ and said, this is the truth. This is the truth. I am the one true God. This is my son. How many of us understand God has established a record that Jesus Christ is not the head of a major world religion? Jesus Christ is the son of God, God in the flesh. He's all to get, listen, I, I, I get not angry in a, in a wrong sense, but stirred up inside when I hear folks talk about, oh yes, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, I understand Christianity as the world understands it is not Bible Christianity. I get that. There's feigned Christianity. There's false Christianity. But we dare not ever put Jesus Christ on the same shelf with Gautama Buddha. We dare not put him on the shelf with Muhammad. We dare not put him on a shelf with some other uh, religious leader with Joseph Smith or Charles Taze Russell or some other person. Jesus Christ. Don't even put him on the same shelf with Satan. He created him. He is the mighty God. 
That's what this text is telling us, that there is one Lord and one God, and that God is manifest and is shown to us and come to us in humanity. What would God be like if He were a man? You don't have to ask. We know. God became a man that man might know God. Every false religion you know of is going to tell you how you can be enough like God that He'll let you into heaven. No, no. God became man so that we can come to heaven. Man can't become God. Man can't even walk up toward God. All we can do is descend. It takes God to reach down and pull us out if we're going to have anything to do with God. And that's what He did. When Christ came to earth, it was God humbling Himself. Man will never make heaven by self-exaltation. That's what the Tower of Babel was. We'll, we'll build our tower to heaven, meaning we're going to show God we're as good as He is, and God shut it down. We have Towers of Babel being built today. Technology industry is building one. We're going to ascend to God. We're going to exalt humanity to the intelligent. Man thinks, there are men on this planet today, thinks that they, will get the, they think they'll get the place they can create life. They're trying and have been failing and failing. God will not give His glory to another, but you be sure there are men who will be happy to try to take it. <laughs> he said, what's all this about this morning? The word thee. There's only one God. The exclusiveness of God is seen in that word thee. The existence and essence of God is seen in that word thee. But above all, the expression of God is seen in that word thee. This child that is born shall be called the mighty God, meaning God will not, he will not do away with any of what makes him God when he becomes man. Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to read just a few verses here. We were here recently. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I think it was uh, last Thursday night in the book of Revelation we were here. We're talking about angels. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, having these last days spoken unto us by his Son, capital S, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, and notice the next phrase, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. I love those verses. But saying Jesus Christ is God expressed in human form. He is the express image of God. Today, Jesus Christ in a body of flesh and bones, that's His humanity, is seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's His divinity. The Bible says, He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, took upon Him the form of a servant, and being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here's, look, look this morning. Man is going to try to make his way to God one of two ways. And there are some say, I don't, I don't care about making my way to God. Well, that's too bad. A person needs to think about that because when it's all done here, we're going to answer to him. It's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. But man either thinks this, I make my way to God by making myself of good reputation. Meaning through, some people think religion. Today, because of secular humanism, there are those that think they have ascended to deity because not because they go to church, but because they refuse to. They think that they're going to do so because I am inherently good on my own, and I demonstrate that through shoveling my neighbor's driveway. 
By the way, that's good. Shovel your neighbor's driveway. That's wonderful. Carrying groceries for the old lady across the street, um, paying somebody's bill at the grocery store when they weren't expecting it, random acts of kindness. I'm just going to be nice to people. And by the way, people that pay for other people's groceries at grocery stores have never stolen from anybody ever. Right? You with me this morning? There are those that think they are going to ascend to God by building their reputation. I will prove that I'm good by what I do. You know what? God says, you'll come to me because I made myself of no reputation. When Jesus Christ came into this earth, there's no fanfare. He was born in a barn. <laughs> no fanfare. That's called no, no reputation. He was born in such poverty that when he was dedicated to the temple, the poorest offering available had to be offered on his behalf. Pigeons and turtle doves, not lambs and oxen, pigeons and turtle doves. Meaning he was put into a home so poverty stricken that there wasn't room to own a home. These were not homeowners that Jesus was born to. These were not royalty. This was not the noble class. The Lord Jesus, God of all humanity, when he came into this earth, decided to come as a nobody. A nobody. So much so that the proud would have nothing to do with him and the humble loved him. You think that was an accident? God resisteth the... That's why he's against America today. To preach about our nation, Pastor. I love our nation. It's a proud nation, though, and God's resisting us because we think we're all that and more. Oh, we need this nation, we need repentance over our pride. that starts right with you and me. When God came into this world, he made himself of no reputation. Man thinks, I'll make my way to God by building a reputation. I'll get me a name in the community... People who admire me. I want to tell you something. You may have a good name in the community and die and perish forever in a place called hell. Because we are not saved by our reputation. We are saved by the fact that the mighty God became a man. Made himself of no reputation. The word the speaks of the existence of God, the exclusiveness of God. There's not many gods. There's one. The essence of God, he's three in one person, but then the expression of God, Jesus Christ, is the mighty God. You know what? I'm grateful. I say of our nation, we need revival, and we do. Can I counter that with I'm grateful this morning? There are places in this world, if I just preached what I just preached and it was known, I'd lose my head before the day is over. I'm grateful for the freedom we still have. Amen? We just put that in there, and we pray God preserve it. Colossians chapter 2 if you would, before we move to our next point. We're looking at the word the. Uh, that's who Jesus Christ is, the mighty God. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says in verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Notice verse 9. For in him, in who? In Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. What is there about God that's not in Christ? Nothing. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God in human form. That's number one. By the way, that's what the name Emmanuel means. God with us. Amen. So the word thee speaks of his authenticity the authenticity of Jesus Christ. He is the mighty God. Number two, we look at the word mighty. The word mighty. He's not just the God. He's the mighty God. This is an adjective in describing 
the Lord Jesus Christ is God. The fact of his might, we all know what mighty means, means power, strength, ability. Hey, look, I was talking in Sunday school about our enemy, the devil, and we look around and we see all that he has accomplished, the, the, the lies he has gotten people to believe. I, I think if, if there could be some agreement between the general populace after COVID-19, we would say, wow, people are pretty gullible. Not everybody, especially not North Idaho, but by and large, fear was used through deception. Fear was used to manipulate certain decisions. I think we could agree at least at a base level on that. If you've done any kind of study, any kind of research, you don't have to be off in some dark place. Just pay attention. And it shows us the ability. It's not that hard to deceive people. It's not that hard to deceive people. Our adversary knows that. And we look around and you can get very discouraged. If you start looking at the culture, you start looking at the world, you start looking at the destruction of people's lives, study the divorce rate, study suicide rates, study that will get you discouraged in a heartbeat because Satan is having great success at destroying people's lives. In a nation where we have more materially than probably any other nation on earth, some of the European nations would counter that, we have really nothing, I mean, I'm going to assume, I can't assume, I can assume this, the majority of you, because I know the majority of you, have a nice warm home to go home to today with food. By the way, if you don't have that, you let us know. We want to be a help to you. But if you have that, we are blessed. And yet, we are the most complaining country on earth. Well, how does that work? See, why are we bringing this up? Because when you look around us and say, Satan is so successful at getting people to believe lies, but may we be reminded today that 1 John 4, 4, we saw in Sunday school, says, greater if you're saved this morning, you're a believer in Christ, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I understand the world is bad. How many know it's been bad for a few thousand years? It has. I understand the evil men and seducers. They wax worse and worse than they have. And we are living in perilous times. And we are, but Jesus Christ is the same. He is as mighty today as he was the day he walked out of the tomb 2,000 years ago. That is a Bible truth. And listen, I'm especially, for you this morning, you have assurance of your salvation. You believe who Jesus Christ is. You've watched him work in your life. We need a reminder this morning that he is not the, the anemic God, the mighty God. He has all might. Before the Lord Jesus left this earth and ascended to heaven, he said, all Power is given to me in heaven and in earth. And then what's he say? So sit around and have fun. Because I have all power. Go you out there and get them. Go you therefore and do what? Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. A low view of Jesus Christ will get you sitting on your hands as a Christian saying, all oh, the world is coming to an end. Yes, it is. So we ought to be busy for our Savior serving Him. Yes? Is He coming again? Yeah. Do we want to be ashamed before Him is appearing? No. We need, a, we need a fresh reminder this morning that He is unchanged. Look, politics doesn't change Jesus Christ. Economy doesn't change Jesus Christ. It doesn't. It does not. He is the same yesterday, so we'll go tell that in a poverty-stricken nation where their politics are bad. I'd be happy to. More people generally get saved in those than in ours. They know they need a Savior. We think we don't. 
My point is this this morning. He can save in North Korea, and he does. He can save in the United States of America, and he does because he is the mighty God. This speaks of his ability. This speaks of Christ's ability. You know what the Lord will allow? He will allow us to get in circumstances that we cannot handle, that we cannot plan our way out of, that we cannot resolve for this purpose. Perchance we'll look to him. Isaiah chapter 50, I believe it is, says, Look unto me and be ye saved, all, ye ends of the, all the ends of the earth. I, I believe this. COVID's one of the best things that could happen to us. Pastor, how many of you have the power to make sure it doesn't ever happen again? Now, some of us don't want to happen again, not because we're afraid of getting sick, but we're, we are seeing handwriting on the wall. So we don't want that to happen again. How many of us in this room say, you know, I'm going to guarantee we never have an event like that again? Never again. Never again are they going to tell us you can't have church. Never again are they going to tell you you can't. I saw a clip this week of, of one of the governors in the country saying, you can't sing in church. I don't mean to be unkind. I'm not trying to be airing. That's not really his call. Amen. Amen? I mean, that's the truth of it. I don't want, as a pastor, I don't like having to deal with that stuff. As a Christian, surely you don't want to have to deal with the craziness and the, there's a coldness it's put on people, I'm afraid. But maybe, maybe it's just awakened to us, some of us, how small and insignificant and without power we are. Paul said, when I am weak, then am I. Now why would he say such a crazy thing? Isn't that a paradox? That's what it is. When I'm weak, then I'm strong because when he was weak, he had to depend on God. And he wasn't running on his strength, but operating on the Lord's strength. And this morning, we need to be reminded in 2022, as we close this year, Jesus Christ is not incapable of saving sinners. He's not incapable of delivering you from temptation. He is not incapable today. He is not. He is still right now the mighty God. And so let's consider just a few things very quickly. I love running through these verses. We've preached an entire message just on this one point in time past. First of all, the Lord Jesus Christ is, has ability to subdue our enemies. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 21. Philippians chapter 3 verse 21. How many understand what rhetoric is? I understand kind of the idea of rhetoric. You say something grand to stir people, and it's not really true, but it sounds true, and it sounds good, and it stirs you up, fires you up, but it doesn't really have any strong basis to it. Politicians use political propaganda, political rhetoric. They want to, they want to get you on board with an idea that they know is really not true, but it feels that way. I want to distinguish. Bible preaching is not rhetoric. Bible preaching is fact. How that fact will work for us depends on what we do with the facts. That's that's how that works. If we accept the fact as God's word, we'll be blessed by it because he always keeps his word. If we reject that fact, then it'll seem to us like it was just rhetoric, right? Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. The Bible says, speaking of what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do for the believer ultimately, who shall change our vile body, we could preach right there for a long time, oh, that we would understand our bodies are vile. They're corrupting. They're decaying. They're getting older and hair is falling out and wrinkles are coming and they're going to die, right? Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able, speaking of Jesus Christ, even to subdue 
all things unto himself. Do you realize one day there will be a new heaven, a new earth, there will be no death, there will be no sin. Who's going to make that happen? The mighty God, Jesus Christ. So he is able to subdue our enemies. According to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, he has already conquered Satan through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Satan is a defeated foe under the foot of the Lord Jesus Christ. Death is the final enemy, according to 1 Corinthians 15, that will be annihilated. No more sin, no more death, no more Satan. He is able to subdue our enemies. Number two, he is able to save sinners to the uttermost. Save sinners to the uttermost. Many have this idea about Jesus. He can get you started on salvation, but you're going to have to get her done. Search your Bible front to back. That's not a biblical truth. That's not a biblical statement. That Jesus is the author of your salvation, but you're the finisher. Hebrews chapter 12 says he's the author and the finisher. My Bible says he's able to save to the uttermost. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 and by the way, read these verses. I encourage you in the entire context of the chapter just to see they're being used just in their perfect, in their context. Hebrews 7, verse 24, speaking of Jesus, but this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also, there's those words again, what's he able to do? To save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. What's he able to do? Save to the uttermost. He doesn't save halfway. He's not able to save kind of. Save the uttermost. Meaning he's able to take a sinner who's addicted to, bound by sin, release them from that, sanctify them, completely save a person to the end that one day we'll not only have a new, a new life within, we'll have a new body without. He's able to save to the uttermost. There are many guys I meet and their life is a mess and they say, I'm trying to turn my life around. I'm a horrible counselor. I say, you need to stop that. You won't turn your life around. Let me encourage you today. You can try, but you will fail. You tell people that? Yes, because it's true. They need Jesus Christ not to turn their life around. They need Jesus Christ to give them a new life, to make them a new person. And by the way, is he able? You know, know, hear me please before we move on. God uses lives that he has changed. See, people look at, I know this, and I know this because I've been told this. Well, you know, you can't really talk about saving people because you were raised in a Christian home, and they kind of insinuate you were really born a nice person. You don't know me then. I promise you, I promise you on the authority of God's word and on the honesty of truth, if God hadn't saved me, there is no telling where I'd be and what I'd be doing. No telling. How many of you know being born in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian? You must be born again. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God uses people around you that at one time were bound by sin that he has saved to the uttermost to tell you, I can save you to the uttermost. Now God says Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Does that mean he saves everybody to the uttermost? No, he saves those that come unto God by him. Those who put their faith in him and say, I want you to do that for me. That's what he does. But here's what he's able to do, to subdue our enemies, sin, death, hell. Christ has conquered it all. He's able to save to the uttermost. He's able to secure the believer for eternity. 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul said, Nevertheless, he says, For which cause I'm, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, speaking of Jesus Christ, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. 
Paul had committed the forgiveness of his sins. Paul had committed his eternity to Jesus Christ. He says, I am persuaded he's able to keep it. See, you don't keep your salvation. He does. That's what the Bible says. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed, meaning I have entrusted my soul to Jesus Christ, and I'm persuaded he can preserve it. I'm persuaded he is a capable Savior. You know why? He's not just a better human. He's the mighty God. And so he's able to subdue our enemies. He's able to save the uttermost. He's able to secure the believer. Jude tells us he's able to keep us from falling. He's able to keep you on your feet spiritually. He's able to succor us who trust in him. See, what does the word succor mean? It means to come alongside and assist. How many of you have ever needed some assistance in something? You're trying to move something or drag an animal out of the woods. You say, man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get this thing out here. Somebody doesn't help me. Somebody comes along, grabs something else, grabs an antler and helps you drag it on out. They succored you. The Bible word is used in a, of a, a man of David being in a conflict and he's about to be defeated. One of his men came and succored him, meaning he joined the fight and helped defeat the foe. Here's what the Christian needs to understand this morning. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ is able to help you in your hour of temptation. He's able to succor you. He's able to come along and deal with Satan on your behalf, deal with sin on your behalf, meaning if you'll rest in his ability rather than your own, he's able to help. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 17, I think is what I want to read, and then verse 18, it says, verse 17, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted." He's able to come all alongside you and assist you with his power. I just want to remind us this morning, this just scratches the surface of what Christ is able to do. You study the Gospels and you'll see him acting upon his ability, saving a gathering to the uttermost, a man that's tearing his clothes off and living naked and out in the tombs in the graveyard cutting himself. They put fetters on him and he would pick them away and change and he'd break them off and uh, te- everybody's terrified. He's possessed of multiple demons. People say, so-and-so is too far gone to be saved. I would beg to differ if you read Luke's gospel, Mark's gospel about the Gadarene. He would be the kind of guy we'd run, we'd see in town and say, that guy's possessed of something. He's too far. Yet by the time Luke 8, if you're reading Luke's gospel or Mark 5, by the time that's done, you find the Gadarene clothed, sitting in his right mind at the feet of Jesus, coherent, saved to the uttermost. And Jesus saying, go tell how great things the Lord hath done for thee. And you go tell people what Christ did for you. And I say this morning, so I, I, I feel, I, I'm not intelligent, but I can sense the doubt in this room. This sounds good. If what I'm preaching to you is not true, I encourage you earlier, read your Bible every day. But if Jesus Christ cannot save a sinner to the uttermost, you take your Bible, find the nearest trash receptacle, put it in it, and go live your life and do something else. Because the Bible plainly says he's able to save the uttermost. And if that's not true, God is a liar. But if it is true, then we need to live according to that truth. And by the way, I stand before you and tell you, I praise God for the opportunity to tell you, I know God can save sinners to the uttermost because I know one he did. God saved me. He can save me and save you. Amen? That's the way it works. 
And I praise God today that God is not... I told my dad this weekend, I said, our churches are anemic spiritually. And it's true. Not that we don't have life, we're weak. But it's not because we don't have capability. I'm afraid we're trusting the wrong resources. Our Savior today, listen, you know what makes the gospel so powerful? The one who died lives. Christ lives. You're going to face temptation before this 24-hour period is over. You have a Savior that is ready to help you face it. You look to Him. If you'll trust Him, say, Lord, I'm facing something that's bigger than me. I have yielded this temptation so many times that it screams at me that I'm incapable. But I'm not going to face it in my ability. I'm asking you, please, help me. And He's able to succor them that trust in Him. Amen. We serve the mighty God. Can I try? To, I, want, I want to be helped to us this morning. Hebrews or Isaiah 9, 6 is not in your Bible, so you can put a pretty plaque on your wall at Christmas. It is there you live by. Jesus Christ is the mighty and finally God. The speaks of his authenticity. He's not another God. He is the God. Mighty speaks of his ability. He's able to save and succor us and secure us and subdue our enemies. Number three, but he's not just the mighty, he's the mighty God. And this speaks of his authority. Remember what's going to be on his shoulder? The government. This is where the, the human conflict with God comes in. We are born with an animosity toward authority called sin. We are born with a, a natural animosity toward God. See, not me, Pastor. I've loved God as long as I can remember. I'm not trying to be ob- hardy along with and obstinate, but that's just not true. <laughs> we don't love God naturally. We love Him because He first loved us. And so the fact of the matter is, we are born with a natural animosity toward authority, and yet Jesus Christ, He's the God. He is the only God. He's the mighty God, but He is the mighty God, meaning His Word is final. His Word is truth. By His Word, He holds the world in place, and by His Word, it will end. He is, is by His Word, He created. It's by, he is God. Let me just give you a few things here. By the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that He's God. What do you mean when He's the authority? How many of you know the word authority can be used in many different ways? Authority can be used as, okay, we have an established rule. We call measuring tape a ruler because it is an established standard. So if you say... You know what? Somebody says, how are you doing on your diet? Oh, good. Uh, my doc says I can have one inch of candy bar a day. One inch. Okay. So, I ate an entire Milky Way the other day. <laughs> a mini one? No, 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 no. A, a whole one. I thought you were about an inch a day. Did you eat it like over five days? No. It's only an inch long. Because my inch is like that. Huh? I, I like that. <laughs> ah. You see, today, authority means an established standard. Is that Jesus Christ? There are those that say, I think I'm good enough that God would accept me. I think when I die, my spirit, soul leave my body. My body's going in the dirt. I'm going somewhere. I think God would take me. I think he would. Well, why do you think that? Well, I've never killed anybody. That's not God's standard. God's standard is not, you're righteous if you've never killed somebody. Well, good, most people are going to heaven then. Jesus had it wrong. He said most were going the, the wide way and the 
only a few people in the narrow. No, most people are going to heaven because most people haven't killed somebody. I mean, I'm hoping that at least we're at about 99% in this room this morning that haven't killed somebody. <laughs> at least not physically. Jesus said, let's give some definition to that matter of murder. If you've hated somebody without a cause, you're guilty of murder. If you're angry with your brother without a cause. Meaning, I'm in a bad mood. I don't like the way you look today. And I wish you'd just get out of my life. Now, I know no one in this room has ever felt like that. Well, I've never committed adultery. I've been faithful to my marriage. Wonderful for you. If you've looked on a woman to lust after her, God says you're guilty of adultery. So he raises the bar just by his definition of the law. But we must understand Jesus himself is God's measurement of righteousness. If I ask you today, are you righteous enough to be accepted in heaven? Are you righteous enough to meet heaven's standard of righteousness and go? How righteous do you have to be? It wouldn't be good to know just exactly how righteous do you have to be to be accepted by God. We do. God gave us a standard. He gave us a measurement. His name is Jesus Christ. Look, if you would, very quick at Acts chapter 17. We're wrapping this up very soon. Acts chapter 17. The Bible says every man will be judged by that man. And Christ is going to not only be sitting on the throne, he's the measuring stick by which we're going to be judged as to whether we're righteous or unrighteous. Acts chapter 17. And the Bible says Paul was preaching in Athens, Greece, when he preached this in Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill. He says, verse 30, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Here's why. Because he hath appointed a day. Now, we don't know when that day is, but he does. He hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Who would he be speaking of? Who's the ordained one? Christ means ordained, the Messiah. By that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. Who's he going to be judging us by? What's the rule of righteousness he's going to judge by? Jesus Christ. If you are as righteous as Jesus Christ, you have been accepted with God. Now we know why Romans 3.23 is in the Bible. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what the glory of God is? Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.15 says, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know why Jesus said in John chapter 8 there was a woman caught in the very act of adultery? Another message for another time. John chapter 8, she's caught in the very act of adultery. Some men brought her, not because they cared for her, not because they wanted her to repent and be forgiven, but because they wanted to ruin Jesus. They brought her and said, Master, Moses said in the law that if you commit adultery, you're to be stoned, but what sayest thou? The Bible says he ignored them at first, and he stooped down and wrote something in the dirt. And then he said, He that is without sin among you, let's kill her. But here's how we're going to do this. Whichever one of you is not without sin, you go ahead and start the execution. You guys want to execute today? You want to be just? We'll be just. So let's go ahead. If we're going to execute adulterers, whichever one of you is not guilty, get going. And from the eldest to the least, being convicted by their own conscience, they left one by one. The only one was standing when they all left. It was her. And he said, if no man condemn thee. I guess they didn't want all those stonings on that day. You know what he's saying? If she's got to die, all of you have to die. 
all have sinned and come short. So if you want wrath without mercy, let's just go ahead right now. And whichever one of you is qualified to start the execution, there was one man there qualified to start the execution. Who was that? And he was the only one who had the power to forgive then. And he said, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Here's what I'm saying this morning. He pardoned her, but the fact is, all the others needed parted just as bad as she did. But she remained and fell at his mercy and received his pardon. It's the same. Here's the, here's the standard for heaven, without sin. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. There's not a being in this room that can say that's me. And so Jesus Christ is the measure of God's righteousness. Yeah. There are those who go about to establish their own righteousness, but that won't happen with God. Jesus Christ is the measure of righteousness. Number two, Him being God means He is the means of God's righteousness. If we're going to be made righteous, we must receive it as a gift from God. Look at this, if you would, Romans 3. I referenced verse 23 a minute ago. Romans chapter 3. We'll read verses 21 through 23. It's established that none of us meet the standard. Jesus is God's standard of righteousness. He is the authority on what righteousness is. And because we have sinned and come short of God's glory, then we need God's mercy. Therefore, if we're going to be righteous, it is not earned, it is received as a gift from God. We literally, when you put your faith in Christ, receive His righteousness as your own. Now the righteousness of God, verse 21, Romans 3, now the righteous, but now the righteousness of God is uh, without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by the faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. What a plain verse in the Bible. The Bible says even the, right, the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, meaning by trust in Him we're made righteous, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ is not only God's measure of righteousness. He is God's means of righteousness. When you come to believe from your heart what you're hearing preached this morning from God's Word, God gives you the righteousness of Jesus Christ and makes you qualified for heaven. Say, is that actually in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For He hath made Him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Christ knew no sin, yet... He became sin on the cross and God judged our sin and poured it on Christ. He hath made Him to be sin for us and you know sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. His righteousness is... Get, listen, being righteous before God is not about your performance. I'm glad to be in church this morning. We want to do church well. We want to honor God. But being in church and how you do church has nothing to do with making you fit for God in heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. We just want to represent Him well so others will trust Him. Amen? And this morning, if you're going to be righteous enough to avoid a devil's hell and go to God's heaven, you're going to have to receive the righteousness of Christ. You're going to have to acknowledge to God, I am not as righteous as the Lord Jesus. Should that be that hard? Boy, we have a hard time with that. Well, I may not be as righteous as Jesus. Then that's enough said. You're not going to heaven. He's the measure. But you can have His righteousness. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Meaning saved from what we deserve, the wrath of God, and given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So not only is Jesus Christ the measure of God's righteousness, He's the means of God's righteousness. I read 2 Corinthians 5.21 and 
we, we need to let that sink in. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And finally, Jesus Christ is God's mandate for righteousness. What happens if I say, okay, he is the God. He is the mighty God. He's able to save me. But you know, I think I should have some part in this. I shouldn't just get righteousness given to me as a gift by faith. That seems too simple. I'm going to do this my way. What if we reject Jesus Christ? Then God rejects us. It's that plain, that simple. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, listen closely now, this is what the nation of Israel did. They, and Paul's speaking about his own people, his own nation. Uh, They being ignorant of God's righteousness, that's Jesus Christ, and going about to establish their own righteousness, now notice this, have not submitted themselves to the uh, under the righteousness of God. Verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. Everything in that book is to bring you to this conclusion. I believe Jesus Christ is who God says He is and I put my trust in Him. To pardon my soul and to govern my life. He's worthy of all of that. And He's able. Amen? And so... There are those today who go about to establish their own righteousness. It sounds something like this. Well, I do my best. I try to be good to my neighbors. I try to watch my language. I try to work hard. How many of you notice what the first two words of every one of those statements is? Which means I fail. And that means I sin. When I say, I'm trying, I'm trying. God wants you trying. He wants you trusting His Son. So I'm not sure. I want to try a little more. I wouldn't want to die that way, friend. There are those, you know what false religion is about? Please hear me this morning. You know what false religion is about? Man seeking to establish his own righteousness. I'll prove I'm righteous by good deeds. I'll prove I'm righteous by very religious activities. I'll prove I'm righteous by, no, no, no. No, all man can prove is that we need a Savior. Righteousness is a gift from God through Jesus Christ. So he's God's means of righteousness and he's God's mandate. And in closing, John chapter 3, John chapter 3, this is it. We'll conclude right here. We know verse 16, oh, so well, and so we should. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son, verse 17, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18 says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. Well, notice this, but he that believeth not. Is that not just simply an omission? I know about Jesus Christ. I've heard who he is. I'm just not going to put my trust in him. He that believeth not is what? Help me now. Condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19, And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Look at verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Jesus Christ is the mighty God. If two, hear me now, 
to reject Jesus Christ as your means of righteousness is to reject God. He is the mighty God. You say, boy, that's narrow. You know why? Because it's truth. How many of you, is what I'm preaching this morning abundantly clear? And here's why it is. Not because, oh, you're so... No, the Bible. I've been reading... How much Bible has been read this morning? We've not cherry-picked. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. God has articulated with light. You know what it does? You know what the, you know what the message this morning? It gives us light. Oh, God doesn't think I'm good because of what I do. God says I'm short of his glory because I'm not as righteous as Jesus Christ. And if I reject Christ, I reject God, and therefore I reject heaven, and I must go to hell. That's Bible. I was talking to a friend last week. We were talking about men loving darkness rather than light. He said, you want a visual illustration? He said, before I got saved, I spent a lot of time in the bars. He said, be in a bar. And he said, they're ready to shut the bar down at 1 or 2 in the morning. So you know how they'd shut the bar down? Some of you tell where you were before you got saved. <laughs> You're right. They turn on the lights. And he said it was like termites. It's true. You know why we're making our church buildings darker? Literally, physically. Same reason they make a bar dark. So we can be in darkness and feel comfortable. You know the word of God does? It sheds light. And you have to do something with it. This morning, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your heart ought to be strengthened. I have trusted in the mighty God. He's taken care of your sin. He saved you to the uttermost. He'll succor you. He has secured you. You're, you're in Christ. You're in his righteousness. You're ready to meet God. That ought to encourage your heart this morning. I do not know hearts. Every person in this room may be a believer in Christ. You may come to the conviction that's true. But may I say, if you're here today and you have not agreed with God that Jesus is the only person that can make you righteous, that his righteousness is required to be ready to meet a holy God. You have to do something with that. You either have to say, I reject that. I just caution you with kindness that I'm going to caution you. If you reject that and you die that way, there's not another chance. You are condemned. God will not accept you into heaven and you'll spend eternity in hell. But here's the other side. But if you'll take God at his word and put your faith in Jesus Christ, I don't care what kind of sinner you are, he is able to save to the uttermost those that come to God by him. Who my charge is today, whether you're already a believer or you're not, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the mighty God. Mm-hmm.